Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Suziwala. Faisal is ranked within the top three real estate brokers in the world for Remax and was recently named Canada's top agent for 2022. Faisal began his career at the young age of 18 and has been providing outstanding results for over 30 years now, most notably with Remax Twin City Realty. Faisal is here today to talk everything from uh, looking at uh, understanding the incentives that are being offered for pre-sales to nimbyism. We've got a lot of things to cover today. Welcome back to the show, Faisal. Thanks for having me on, Brock. Uh, listeners, if you're interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, please reach out to Faisal. You can start your journey at homeshack.com. You can call him directly as well, 519-624-5555, or by email at Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, we're in the dog days of summer now. What, uh, what does the current market look like? Well, we've had uh, an interesting summer from January to June. We didn't see any interest rate hikes. So that allowed the market to really recover some of those losses that we suffered last year. So last year, the market was down approximately 35% uh, in our region. And now we found that from January to June, just simply by having a pause in the interest rate. So the rates didn't actually go down. They just paused the increase what that the reaction of that was very positive and the market actually went up 15 percent now when their interest rates went up in june that that time we started seeing some more sidelines happening people pausing taking a break and then you add the holiday season on top of that you know people hadn't been away a lot during the last couple of years so they were planning their vacations so towards the end of june end of school year july People went on holiday. So we saw a, a massive slowdown in July to a point where a lot of sellers were becoming nervous, wondering if, you know, they're going to be able to sell their home, if they're going to get the value they wanted. Uh, a lot of realtors were pivoting strategies. They were not holding offers anymore. They were pricing more towards market. And really, there's no right or wrong to that. But now looking back, um, there was no need to panic. Uh, we are seeing a very strong start to the month of August. We're seeing a very strong end of the summer season in real estate. Even though inflation numbers have come out, uh, we've seen the increase in inflation rate to 3.3 from 2.8, which may lead some people to wonder, you know, what's going to happen coming into the next uh, quarter and what's going to happen in the fall. And if we if we do take a look at, uh, you know, going into September, October, what what do you see happening? OK, so, you know, U.S. interest rates are, are on the climb and that means that we will most likely follow. But there's a, you know, a caveat there, because if we follow that trend, it's going to really cripple people's ability to get financing. It's already very expensive. Um, and then, you know, if, if, if you're at 6.25% or 6.4% for a five-year rate right now, and it goes up a quarter percent, now you're at 6.5 to 6.7, add the stress test uh, qualification requirement, which is an additional 2%. So you're not paying 8.5%, but you got to qualify as if the rates were 8.5%. It's just going to put a real wrench. And I don't know if the if the uh, purpose or the intent here is to cripple the economy, to crush people's abilities to qualify, to hit the reset button, to say, okay, I mean, they did this in the 70s, uh, you know, and then and start all over again. But, you know, the 
the results and 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 whatever happens as as a result of these actions is going to be devastating to families. We're already seeing people uh, not able to afford their mortgages, not able to hold um, you know payments in and and keeping track of that. So this could be a really difficult time moving forward. And we've talked about this as well, too. If, you, if your mortgage is coming due at the end of August or into September, uh, you go back five years and, and what uh, the rates were at right at that point, it's it's going to be more so, you know, more than, than just sticker shock, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. People are already having to pull back on a lot of their spending there, you know, and let's face it, during the last couple of years, interest rates were low, people had disposable income, there was a lot of money thrown into the economy. Um, and there was a, a, a real, you know, sort of appetite for spending, that appetite has to now be suppressed, because if we continue on that trajectory of spending, they're going to be in big trouble moving forward. All important information for us to uh, to take a look at, and as you said, it's uh, people are people have to have to figure out what is it that they're able to handle, and and uh, you can't leave it until now before you start uh, looking at all those options. You you have to be doing your homework ahead of time, and that's you've been you've been touting that for a really really long time. Yeah, just be proactive. Look at your finances. Look at where you're falling behind, and and don't wait for something to happen or an action be to be taken by the financial institution, um, or or wait till the last minute for those renewals. Because then, when you go in to get a renewal, you have no leverage. Your last minute, your your loans being called. Uh, we don't want to see people going down the path of power of sales and bank repossessions, and that's just you know the the scenario that's going to play out if people don't really take control of their situations. Good information to be listening to, uh, Faisal. We hear a lot about uh, pre-sale condos and and new builds, and at the same time. Uh, we see a lot of these ads from realtors and coming in and, and builders that are offering incentives. Can you sort the, through all of that for us? What's what's going on there? So we're seeing we're seeing more and more of these incentive programs where builders are incentivizing uh, realtors and other realtors are incentivizing other realtors to bring uh, you know your buyers to our home building site to bring your buyers to our development um, pre construction all kinds of incentives. $25,000 in, in rebates, cashbacks, um, just ridiculous commissions being offered to realtors. You know, 7% I saw in one ad. Um, just bring your client, we'll give you 7% commission, we'll pay you upfront. So when you see those types of things that are out there, and, and I'm, say, I'm speaking to realtors first, you know, you have a responsibility to take the trust that buyers put in you your investors put in you and your first time home buyers put in you uh take don't take that lightly you know when when someone is throwing all kinds of cash at you all kinds of incentives at you it's probably not a great deal for the buyer there's probably um some layer of um, massive profit that's being made by someone and um if if that's what's happening you have to look at who is ultimately paying the price for these incentives. It's not the generosity of the developers, not the generosity of the builder or the generosity of the realtor that's giving you these incentives. This is coming straight out of your pocket. And you're sort of looking at it and saying, well, that's a great deal. I've got a, you know two years to close. Um, but this is where a lot of people are being taken advantage of. And we're seeing 
the backlash of that now in the marketplace. This happened throughout our region two years ago. Uh, condos were being sold. Realtors were being given massive, massive amounts of incentives and, and cash and, and commissions in order to bring your buyers to our site. We'll pay you up front. 90 days, you get your commission. It doesn't matter if the deal's not closing for two years. Well, everybody overpaid. They ridiculously overpaid. I'm now getting calls from clients that I didn't even know got swindled into these uh, schemes, I want to call them. And they're saying, well, can you get me out of this? Can you assign this for me? You know, the time to consult with a professional is not after you've made the decision. It's before you make that decision. Talk to your lawyer, talk to your accountant, talk to your trusted realtor or advisor or your financial advisor and say, here's what it is. Get a second opinion from someone before entering into these agreements. And, you know, ask some questions. Ask your realtor, have you invested in this? Have you or your family invested in this? Um, do you have any skin in the game, as I like to call it? And if you don't, well, why is it such a great deal for me, but it's not such a great deal for you? Or why have you not been able to get other people interested? And why is the builder offering such great incentives for me to buy into this, into this uh, project? People are getting, frankly, ripped off. And it's annoying and disgusting to see what's actually happening. And we can't fix your problems. When, when you haven't made a thoughtful, informed decision, and when you've allowed someone to take advantage of you, it's very difficult for anyone to take that off of your shoulders. So the closings are coming in now at 7% interest rates. And um, there's no assignment uh, possibility because you overpaid two years ago by probably 30%. Um, developers, builders, and and uh, realtors line their pockets with your money. And unfortunately, it's time to pay the piper. And it's really sad for me to say that. So moving forward, when you see some sort of an opportunity out there, really investigate it, look at it, know who the builders are, know who's in behind it. Don't be afraid to ask your realtor, what are you being compensated on this? How much are you getting paid? And when are you getting paid? Right. And that will give you a pretty good basis for making an informed decision. And, and I would think if someone's pushing something really, really, really hard at you, there's, there's, that's the, the warning signs start going off. We, uh, we'll, we'll take a break uh, here and ask the experts. When we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the future of real estate. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker, Faisal Suzy Wallet. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555 or through email, faisal at homeshack.com. Before the break, we were talking about all of these incentives that are being offered and, and, and coming down the pipe. In your mind, though, Faisal, would you still recommend investors or, or buyers still look at purchasing a pre-sale? Absolutely. Look at the timelines, but do a comparison. And it's very easy to pick up the phone, call your trusted realtor and ask, what would this unit sell for today on the open market? Uh, what would the price, of square, price per square foot be on this unit? Um, what would this unit have sold for in the peak, which was February of 2022? And what is the projection, again, that's the crystal ball, of what I can expect conservatively in the next year to two years on this? So let's let's sort of play this out. 
If, um, in fact, I'm doing a project right now in Kitchener, it's called Viva on Mill Street, where the developer builder is um, asking for a 10% deposit. The price per square foot is roughly $700 per front foot, or for, sorry, for per square foot. So a studio condo is $350,000, okay? $15,000 additional for parking. The closing date is two and a half years out, okay? Now, if you go to, and, and the deposit requirement is 10%, okay. okay? There's no incentives. There's no bonusing. There's no massive commissions being paid out. It's all being paid as if it was a regular resale home. That's the commission basis on this, okay? And I have right. no problem disclosing what these rates are. It's 4%, which is a typical builder commission. So mm -hmm. there's not that $25,000 cash back or $50,000 to your realtor to bring you in. Um, and what that allows you to do is have a two and a half year runway to close on the deal. So you're putting 10% down now. Now, if I take that same studio apartment, which is, let's call it 600 square feet, and I go to the market right now, chances are I would pay $350,000 for that in a resale. So that to me makes sense. Now, when you're paying future value, which is what a lot of developers and builders were expecting buyers to do. So they were selling condo units in downtown Kitchener for $1,400 per foot in the peak of the market, when you could go and buy the same unit in a resale for $800 a square foot. So where was the sense of paying future value? And again, builders and developers will argue that, hey, yeah, we have to you know, hedge on the fact that in two years, the our cost may go up. Well, that's true, but you can also lock in your material cost now, lock in your labor cost now. That's what contracts are all, all about. So I don't buy those stories that that are being thrown out there saying we have to and what if the economy goes down what if the prices go down is the builder going to rebate you the money absolutely not that's not going to happen right so really and I, and you know again there are a lot of great builders a lot of great developers a, a lot of great realtors and then there's the opposite of that so i'm not poo-pooing on anybody here i'm just saying really get your information understand what you're buying and do your own analysis of the market and see where are the values today if you can buy a unit today at today's price but not have to close on it for two years I'm going to tell you it's a great opportunity to buy. I personally am investing in the same projects that I'm developing because I, or if I'm investing in it, I've got my own money in it. I will then suggest to you that this is a good deal because look, they're not all going to be win-win deals. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you know what? I'm your partner in that process and I'm participating in that. It may not work out. Touch wood, we've only had successful projects to date because we've taken a thoughtful approach. We're not buying on impulse. We're buying based on economic sense and what is real in the market and not what is fluff or shoved down your throats. Got to do your homework, and you know, and and as Faisal's saying, he's willing to uh, to back a project. Um, you, you want to get on it and get on on that project as well, too. Uh, Faisal, if if you can gaze into that crystal ball that we know that uh, that, that exists for you, um, what does the future of real estate ownership look like? Well, it's very interesting, you know. So I, I was doing a little bit of research, and 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 I was looking at the different generations, you know, the silent generation, nineteen twenty eight to nineteen forty five, and then you've got the baby boomers who came along in nineteen forty six to nineteen sixty four. Now you and I are not part of that, Brock. We're the Gen X people, nineteen sixty five right. to nineteen eighty. I'm, I'm I'm giving away your your nineteen. <laughs> 
eight here. And then we have the millennials, of course, 1981 to 1996. So if we go back to the silent generation, um, they now own uh, $4.7 trillion worth of real estate uh, North America. And then you've got the baby boomers who own $18 trillion worth of real estate, which is basically unchanged. But mm -hmm. the island generation, that's your, you know, 80 year old plus, they have now dropped in ownership, because unfortunately, a lot of them are passing on. So that has dropped by 12%. The baby boomers are holding on to their properties. This is very interesting. They're not liquidating, they're not selling. Because they're using their real estate assets as um, a, a form of passive income through their retirement, which is great. And I talk a lot about that in my book as well, that, you know, that's exactly what you want to be doing. Now, Gen X, which is, you know, 1965 to 1980, um, they own $13.4 trillion worth of real estate in North America right now, which is, which is starting to drop a little bit. And the reason it may be dropping is they might be helping their kids get into the market. They might be liquidating a little bit because this generation, unlike the baby boomer generation, is more of a let's enjoy life a little bit. Let's 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 go on vacation. Let's buy that new car as opposed to let's save for tomorrow. Um, then, of course, we have our, our millennials. My kids are uh, not quite in that generation, but close enough. But 1981 to 1996 which is interesting, 52% of millennials today own properties, wow. which is a, a, a shocking number for me because I was always under the impression, and you know, we, we, we give millennials sort of the, 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 the short end of the stick uh, where, where we're not giving them credit, but you would be surprised, and I was actually surprised at the number of millennials that are actually very conscious of buying a home and having a future and creating that sort of cushion for themselves. So 52% own homes and are gaining traction over um, the Gen X and baby boomers and they're starting to. But what's interesting about that generation, 1981 to 1996, um, and the $5 trillion worth of equity and homes that they own, is that they're leveraging their equity. Okay. They're leveraging their equity and they're, they are using their home as the bank. And uh, the term HELOC, home equity line of credit, is basically their their bank account to keep drawing on. Uh, that has caused a little bit of a glitch. And this is the generation that I think is going to suffer the most if these interest rates continue to rise because their HELOCs are at 7.5 and 7.7%. So when you take 7.5, 7.7, it was great when it was 1.8% because money was free, as they used to say. But today at 7.7%, that's going to be a huge, huge um, pressure on their income and sustainability of keeping up with their payments. So the equity in their homes over the last 12 months has dropped by 20%. Okay, So equity has dropped. Debt has increased, rates have increased, which doesn't make for a very great formula of sustainability. We hope that these higher interest rates are going to be short-lived, and by April, May, or June of next year, we'll start seeing a little bit of uh, clawback on these rates. But I don't expect that uh, between now and the end of the year, we will see that. And then, of course, we have Gen Z, which my kids are in 1997 to 2012. They're just starting out. but as Gen Xers, 
um, it's really our responsibility to start giving financial literacy to our children and teaching them the importance of investing their money. Uh, my kids are 21 and 18 years old. I just convince them to take all their birthday money and holiday money and every every dime they've ever saved up through all the gifting that they've had and all the jobs that they had and all the savings that they've had instead of going out there and spending their money on you know nike shoes and golf equipment and all of that which again it's important to enjoy life a little bit as well to put some of this money into an investment property and again if we take an example of the condo development that i'm doing currently if they're buying a $350,000 unit, they're required to put $35,000 down right now. So between two kids, you know, I'm hoping that they will come up with that money without me having to loan it to them. Then they have two and a half years from now to save as much as they can because they'll need the additional 10% to make up the 20%. And then they will rent that property out. Over time, appreciation will occur. And over time, the income will start generating and giving them cash flow. And it'll also give them an opportunity to use that as their kickstart into buying a personal home for themselves or use it for other assets that they require. But this is really the type of financial literacy that's required to educate our children on how important it is to start investing their money at a young age. There's government programs that we've talked about. As soon as your kid's 18 years old, open that account. Get, get your financial advisors to sit down with your kids and start talking to them now because that's going to create sustainability. It's going to create wealth. It's going to create an ability for them to have a future without them having to wait for you to croak so that they can earn it or inherit it, I should say. Great, great uh, information. And I, and I like, well, we'll, we'll stop there. We'll take a break, but I, I will, I'd like to come back to a couple of things. Actually, we'll get an update from the city news, 570 news center. When we come back, uh, as we were just talking, building wealth in real estate, how do we make it happen? Stay with us here on city news, 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, the real deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. If you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Uh, talking about the real deal, Faisal, in that book, you provide this great guide to building wealth and and looking at building wealth through through real estate. Maybe you can walk us through what, what the key sections are in that guide. Yeah, there's there's not sort of a one size fixed uh, fixes all approach to building wealth in real estate. So um, I've looked at various different uh, mechanisms in how I can grow my real estate portfolio or just basically build wealth through using real estate as opposed to other vehicles and other investment vehicles. So rental properties is my number one, um, you know, basically buy a rental property, put a tenant in there. Uh, you don't have to look at cash flow so much as making sure that it's breaking even. And if it's breaking even, then appreciation does the job, which brings me to the next topic, which is you buy a property and you hold it. Even if it's your own personal residence, you buy that property and you hold it. And over long term, if you look back five years, you'll never say, I'm glad I didn't buy back then. You're going to say, I wish I had bought more back then. So appreciation does its job more, more so than cash flow. Appreciation is what helps you build equity and wealth over time. And it's, it's not, 
It's not something that's, you know, glamorous or sexy and wow, look what I've just done. It's just boring. But over time, you create great amounts of wealth just by holding on to real estate and not going back and forth and, 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 and buying and selling and buying and selling. And again, that's another, another aspect of it. But one of the other um, ways is there are passive investors who like real estate, but they don't want the management of it. They don't want the day-to-day -day issues. And they want to basically have a very diverse portfolio. So that's where real estate investment trusts come in, which is a, a REIT. Uh, right. As um, on, on the stock market, you can, you can invest in a REIT. And that is basically um, handing your money through a money manager or financial advisor who will invest your money in a REIT. Now, it was interesting. I did read somewhere that REITs outperformed the S&P uh, over the last five years. So um, now I, I would argue that maybe in the next year or so, they're not going to outperform because real estate market values have gone down. A lot of office space is sitting vacant. So you have to really know who you're investing with before you put your money in there. Look at the big REITs that are out there. Look at what they own. They have shopping plazas. They have apartment buildings. They have, you know, dealerships. They have lots of lots of different and diverse portfolios. Another way is, of course, buying and flipping. I'm not a big fan of this, but it is one other way of building wealth in real estate. If you are a contractor, if you have trade, if you have skills, then that's something that I do recommend that you look at. I'm completely useless when it comes to a hammer and a screwdriver. So I would never take on a project and say, I'm going to do it myself and flip because it will look worse than it did when it started. <laughs> so that there is an opportunity if you, if you are skilled or if you have a group of people in your sort of toolbox that can come out there and help you, it's definitely worth it. Commercial properties. I really like commercial properties from a management perspective because once you lease out the commercial property, the tenant is responsible for absolutely everything, including the property tax, the maintenance, the insurance. And even if you're managing it, they're still responsible for the payment of it. Um, only, only factors to consider there is to get into commercial properties. It takes a higher, it's a higher barrier to entry because you've got to come up with more money instead of 20% down. Sometimes the banks will require that you have 30 or 35% down. So then the cost of entry can be a little bit higher, but you can then look at syndicating. You can bring in partners, you can put a group together. And again, if everyone is sort of of the same mindset and uh, on the same page and sort of on the same journey, and no one's sort of looking at getting their money out very quickly, then over long-term commercial investments are fantastic. And lastly, which I really love doing myself is land development. So it could be comprised of just buying and holding for a long period of time. It can also comprise of just doing some land assembly. So basically it's like playing a real life game of Monopoly. You know, you buy one property, then you buy the property next door and the one next door. And when you all own all three, um, you know, my 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 neighbors are not going to like this comment, but you knock it all down and you build townhomes there. Build, right. and, and that'll bring us into the nimbyism later on. But but again, that's the redevelopment uh, aspect of accumulating land. And what you can do with land today, given the 
provincial mandate. It's just incredible. We could not have dreamt of doing what we're able to do today, 20 years ago. And if you had gone in with a plan to say, this is what I want to build on this parcel of land, the city staff would have laughed you out the door saying, you know, you'll never get that on this property. And we're seeing exactly those things happening right now. So certainly a, a lot of different aspects. And I expand a little bit more on that in my book. Um, and, and, and we found that just slow and steady, boring investing will create enormous amount of wealth. And, and and it's not it's not kind of like set it and forget it. You know that you've got to you got to keep doing your homework, right? You got to be paying attention to what's going on. But when you go back to that idea of, of real estate investment trusts. That's it's really a hands off uh, investment, right? You're 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 saying I trust you with what you're going to be doing with my money. Uh, you're still you still have a foot in in the real estate game. But like you said, you're not you're not dealing with we're not we're not dealing with tenants. You're not dealing with the roof has to get fixed. The, you know all of those things that if if that's in your wheelhouse, if that's something that you that you uh, you're comfortable with and you you like building up a relationship and you know if you've got an apartment building and those those rent or renters have been there for 10, 20 years, that's amazing because you've built that rapport. But if if you're looking for something a little bit more hands off, then uh, the investment trust seems to be the way to go. Absolutely. And then the alternative to even owning rental properties, is there are great management companies that are out there that will take the headaches away from you. Yes, you're going to pay a little bit per month, but it takes that headache away from you. A lot of buyers say, I don't want to deal with tenants. I don't want to deal with issues. I don't want somebody calling me that my toilet's not working or my dishwasher broke down. Well, you don't necessarily have to worry about those things if you have a good property manager handling those things for you. It can be as headache-free as, as putting your money in the stock market or a real estate investment trust. If we take a look at flipping, uh, as you were saying, and buying and flipping, you know, it, it, you saw those trends on TV. There are all the TV shows about what you're going to be doing in the, say, let's say the last five or 10 years. Is it still viable for a lot of people if they've got the skill set or is, are people kind of moving away from that? Well, you, you've got to be able to stomach the market because let's just let's just say you bought a property February of 2022 with the intent of closing it in April or May, working all summer on renovating this and, and then flipping it, you were in for a pretty dark ride there because you overpaid by about 30%. Then you invested probably 25% money in in, in, in improving that property. So now you've got to recover 55% of the money that you've got in there. That wasn't going to happen. So that's where you have to then pivot to, and you've got to be willing to, and, and you've got to be in a position to pivot to keeping that as a rental property until the market turns around. Right. Right? So if you're not of the mindset that you're prepared to become a landlord, don't get into a flipping situation because there's high risk in that. Because if the market turns, and especially right now in times of volatility, now if if for example the rates are at seven and a half percent, the market drops another fifteen percent, and you have cash, and you're not carrying this mortgage for the next six months, then there's going to be great opportunity for you to buy these properties, hold on to them, sit on them, maybe even vacant for a few months until such time that the market starts turning around and then exit when the market is up and the market will be up when the interest rates are down. Good information to know. And as you said, you're, you've, you've broken it down for us in, in this idea of building wealth. You start off as you're doing with your, with your own children, get them into the rental market, get them into, get their feet wet, 
learn a little bit at that level. And and if you got a taste for it, right, and you want to keep working your way through it, uh, you get to the point, as you said, one of your favorites is is land development, right? That when you were 18, you weren't necessarily looking at land development. That that was pie in the sky, maybe at that point, but it allowed you to you had a goal, right? And we've talked about that before, working your way towards those goals. Um, even even that first house that you buy, sit, hang on to it for a while. It might not be your dream home, but that's okay as well too. That's right. Absolutely. It's, it's get into the game. Don't sit on the sidelines and wait for things to happen because you'll always be missing it. Good to know. Uh, we'll take a final break here on Ask the Experts. When we come back, uh, our home builders still building in the economic climate and what is NIMBYism? You're listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today, Faisal Suziwala, also known as Canada's top real estate broker. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or email faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, before the break, we were outlining ways to, to build wealth and real estate and, and working our way through those number of steps. If we change the focus a little bit right now, when we look at the builders at this point, are our home builders still building in the economic climate that we find ourselves in? You know, interestingly enough, I read last uh, few days ago that um, in the Toronto Star that 22% of home builders in Canada have cancelled their plans wow. to build beyond the second quarter here. So that means that we're going to see, again, an inventory issue. Um, and, and you look at, okay, why have they stopped? Like, what's the reason behind it? So number one reason is the financing cost. So as much as we may think these builders and developers have all kinds of money, the challenge is that they are also leveraged or financing the purchase of the land. Maybe there's a vendor take back where the person who sold them the land is holding a mortgage and they're paying payments on that. So all of that is accumulating cost. Now, on top of that, if they've got to put out money for construction costs, which are rising, and labor shortage, 20% less labor is available now than there was 10 years ago. And the next 10 years, there's going to be another 20% shortage in skilled labor. So this is a huge issue. But let's look at the problem that this is creating. Um, we've gone from 1.5 million homes needed in Canada over the next 10 years to 3.5 million homes needed in Canada over the next 10 years to now the latest numbers, we need 5.8 million homes in Canada over the next 10 years. We've already talked about in our region how we need 80,000 homes in the next seven years. Again, if 22% of the builders have said we're not building right now, that's going to be an issue. Um, we know that Premier Doug Ford has opened up 7,400 acres of land that was in Greenbelt for development. And the idea behind that is to create up to 50,000 homes. But there's a lot of roadblocks that are consistently out there. And the roadblocks might be uh, neighbors, just general you know, groups that don't want things happening in their neighborhoods, um, cities, municipal level. Municipal level doesn't always agree with what the provincial mandates are. So the province may say, this is the direction we need all of your cities to go into, but there's a lot of pushback that's happening at the municipal level. And then we've talked about this in the past. The I find that at the municipal level, 
it's completely dysfunctional. Mm. You know, we're not, um, you know, interestingly enough, and I'm going to, I'm not going to call out the, the counselor, but I, I think I mentioned uh, to you, Brock, on one of our past shows, um, how it's impossible to get a phone call returned from city staff or phone. Uh, or, so interestingly enough, after our last radio show, um, one of the counselors left a message at my office. I returned the call within 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was about two months ago. I'm right. still for the call. So if that counselor's listening, please call me back. <laughs> waiting. Faisal's waiting to talk with you. I'm waiting to talk to you. So, um, there's just a lot of red tape. Now, there are penalties for municipalities, which a lot of people may not be aware of, if they don't act in a timely manner. And I don't know what all the details are, but that's my understanding. So I think it's important for municipalities to really start looking at these applications, start moving through things through the system, not put up a lot of roadblocks and hurdles. And again, it may not be a popular opinion coming from a realtor who wants to create more housing, but there's a need in this marketplace for more housing. And we can't be the one saying, no, 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 no. Right. And then and that, and it's the number isn't, isn't coming down. It's going up. Like you said, from 1.5 million, just, we were talking about that, let's say two years ago to, you know, uh, over, over five and a half million homes in the next 10 years. And, and as you said, all of these other things get get compounded on it. We don't have people going into the skilled trades. We've got people that are in the skilled trades that are as you know as old as us and beyond that that just uh, they're they, you know they're ready to move on. They're ready to retire, and they don't have someone to to take their their place. So trying to convince younger people to look at at trades as a viable a uh, viable career option. You're going to be busy. You're going to have the work there. There's there there will be those opportunities. So we need to be able to to make sure that we can we can uh, address all of those pieces. It's going to be a big job, but uh, we'll we'll work away at it. You mentioned already the idea of nimbyism. So you know what are we talking about? And and in your mind, are we facing that that sort of uh, idea in 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 the region? Yeah. So it's, uh, nimbyism basically it's not in my backyard, right? I don't want it in my backyard. I want, I want new housing. I want much more, um, you know, urbanization. I want uh, intensification. I want high density, but don't put it beside me. Don't put it where I can see it, tuck it away somewhere. right. So that's NIMBYism. I just, I want it, but I don't want it near me. Now, if everyone has that sort of approach and we're all guilty of it, including myself, um, where we're just a little bit sort of shy when it comes to supporting an application of a 12-story building that goes up beside your home because you know you're going to have shadows and you're going to your sunlight's going to be blocked and and all the things that go along with it but at the same time we can't be complaining about how our kids can't have affordable housing how there's not enough housing in 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 the in the country to house the amount of immigrants that are coming into the country so when you're when you're trying to create um, a vibrant economy and create immigration. You know, we go back to the skilled laborers. Laborers, um, we need twenty percent more in the next ten years. Um, the average uh, resident of Canada is not thinking, "I want to just become a plumber or an electrician or a framer or a roofer or a stonemason." So, where are those people going to come from? We have to go abroad to get those people in, but then we have to be able to house them and their families as well. And this is where um, there's a uh, project right now in uh, in Cambridge in the east part uh, where a school was 
uh, torn down for redevelopment to create affordable housing. And, you know, I'm watching the news and I'm listening to people and I'm watching the, 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 the feeds on social media. Everybody's, you know, saying, you know, up in arms, oh, we don't want this in this area. You know, this is like ridiculous. And is it really going to be affordable housing or is it just a developer's way of making more money? Let's create the housing. Let's let's get past all of these objections. Let's create the housing. Let's get these um, brownfill sites, these infill sites. Let's get these developed so that we can have some sort of a dent in this need that we have, especially in our region. There's there's a huge crisis. And again, the unintended consequences of not having enough housing is that the rental market is skyrocketing. And so instead of people being able to live affordably before in the old days, you rented so you could save money. And then you save that money and you went and bought a house. Today, your, your income is just servicing your rent. Forget saving money. There's no opportunity to save money while you're renting today. No, and and we had uh, a discussion uh, the other day. You know, people are paying rents that are beyond what they're, if they were lucky enough, beyond what their mortgage payments would be. So there's n there's no uh, no way to dig yourself out of that hole unless you know you can you can rely on mom and dad to help you out a little bit, or you know. Uh, but not a lot of people can find themselves in in that that situation. You bring up that that it's it's a great point, and if you take a look at even even the landscape around the region over the last say five years it has changed we can't continue to grow out we're growing up and if we're, if we're growing up and we've got those 40 50 story high buildings uh they do cast a big shadow but they also house uh you know hundreds of people so there has to be some give and take if you know if you are buying in a new build it kind of comes with the territory that you you should be expecting that there's going to be a lot of construction around you. And and I know that that's not always the case if you're in the downtown core, but we know a, a, a parcel of land becomes available. Um, it's no longer thinking, well, I'll put a couple of homes on here. No, I I, I want to go up and I want to be, be able to make sure that there's housing for Hundreds, right? Not just, not just say two or three, the uh, two or three families. So, um, Faisal, I want to thank you for coming on the show again today. Always a pleasure, and it's uh, we always learn something brand new when we get a chance to talk. And and I'm hoping you'll you'll come on again. Thanks a lot, Brock. Pleasure's all mine. I appreciate it. That uh, that was Faisal Susiwala. He's Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker as well. Luckily for us, someone willing to share his thoughts on the current real estate market. Big thank you to our technical producer, Adam Sanderson, for pushing all the right buttons today. And thanks to you listeners for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.